Now, we're talking all about relationships, right, and getting to know each other. Uh, and there's a lot of relationships, right? You've got siblings and spouses, and there's grandparents, there's coworkers, there's neighbors, uh, there's, there's mere acquaintances, and, you know, there's friends, and then there are best friends, right? I think a lot of us at some point in our lives have had that best friend, right? And every relationship has its own kind of dynamic uh, and uniqueness to it. Uh, but there's something about a best friend, whereas people like to say, right, they're my, they're my bestie. Uh, because you have this history together. You start doing stuff together. You realize you have the same interests, the same hobbies. You, you, you probably think very similar where you guys get to a point where you could say something to your best friend and when you say this simple phrase, it literally has communicated an entire novel of conversation because you have that such deep of relationship and history together. Um, and, you know, for, for kids, uh, you know, little girls, it's, it's running around on the playground and holding hands and hugging seven times before they leave. And for boys, it seems the more that they beat on each other, the more they like each other, right? There's those interesting dynamics. And then as you get older, right, what happens? You're, you're in each other's weddings. You share meals together. You become, you know, surrogate aunts and uncles to each other. You go on vacation together. And you spend time sitting around probably talking about all of the dumb things that you guys did as kids, right? Like, that's what we're talking about when we talk about best friends. Um, and it's a very special relationship. And as we go through the sermon series, again, why Penn Valley? We're going to talk about what is this dynamic of the church that exists in terms of this kind of intimate and personal relationship and why God designed us to be the church that we are. So we started off again talking about how the church is a called out group of people, right? We're not a building, right? We are not a social club. We are not a religious organization. We have been called out by people who profess the faith and wherever we go, that is where the church goes, right? It is a collective group of people that makes up both the universal and the actual local church. And then we talked about uh, how we're to be set apart and how we are to be a model and an example for the rest of the world, pointing people to who Christ is and who our Lord and Savior is. We also talked about the idea of how we are to be the pillar of absolute truth, right? We live in a world where everyone says truth is relative, but we stand on the word of God and we say, this is what truth is, right? I don't pick and choose the different parts that I like. I accept the entire written scripture of the Holy, the Holy Bible as God's word to us to both guide us uh, and, and, and help us through this world in which, in which we live, right? It offers salvation and healing to us. And today, by the end of this, I want us to all realize that all of us are going to be best friends with each other. Okay, and you're probably thinking that's a lot of best friends. I know, but think about all of the parties that you'll get to go to now. All right, so, so that's where we're headed. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verse uh, 42 through verse 47. Uh, and again, just a little back history here. What is the book of Acts all about? Again, we've had the Gospels. Christ has come. He's died. He's resurrected. He's got his disciples. And now he is sending his disciples out to continue his ministry, right? So the book of Acts is the historical account of the spread of the Gospel and really the spread of what we call his church. 
And so we talked about how at Pentecost, all these Jews have come back. They've gathered for the, for the festival of weeks to celebrate the harvest. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit comes down. And they're all speaking in languages they can understand as a visible sign that, yes, the Holy Spirit has now indwelt you. It is now living in you. And this is, again, what we call the formation or the start of the church that we know it to be. And so now we come to verse uh Uh, verse 42 in chapter 2, and this is the aftermath of that, right? So the Holy Spirit has come down. People are trying to figure out what's going on. Peter has basically just told them all of that has happened, and now this is what the church is supposed to look like. So let's start in 42 here. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when we break this passage up, really verse 42 has these four commitments. This is what the church is committing itself to, and verses 43 through 47 is really kind of the essence or the nature of what the church is actually like. So we're going to start in 42. We're going to talk through each of those four commitments, and then we'll get into, okay, now what is the heart and the essence of how it is that we live actually as the the church? So the first thing that it says, it says they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? That is, the apostles were going around in the book of Acts, and they're ministering, they're sharing the word of God with various individuals, and they're helping them to understand what is actual truth? What is the word of God? And so the the main thing they were constantly telling them about was who Christ was and the gospel and how everything in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? That he is their salvation, that he is their Lord. And he then begins to talk about how it is of what's going to happen in the end times and in the future to come. And they're saying all of these things, all of these teachings is what we need to continue to understand. And that as we grow in Christ and as we are in God's word, right, the the, the Holy Spirit continues to work in our hearts, bringing salvation and, and sanctification through us and transforming us to what his will actually is. And so as a church, they committed first and foremost to the teachings of Christ. And that is extremely important Because what we need to understand, guys, is that when you and I unite each other in fellowship, I am not uniting myself to you first and then trying to figure out what the Bible says. I unite myself to God's word and who Christ is, and then I find other individuals who have united to that same purpose, and then I unite myself to them. Right, So I don't put you over the Bible. I put God's word first, and then those who agree with that is how I unite myself as the actual church. Okay, So that's the first thing they do. The second thing is they says they commit themselves to the fellowship. 
Okay? Now, this seems kind of odd because it's literally like saying, I'm going to commit myself to hanging out with you and being friends with you. That's really kind of what they're saying. But this word fellowship is actually the word koinonia, which means association, communion. It's a deep, deep-seated relationship. There's a sense that there is a participation together, that what you and I experience, we experience collectively together. So what is it that we are sharing in the fellowship? Well, again, we've already said we're sharing in the fellowship of God's teaching. We're sharing in the the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're sharing in the mission and the journey and the salvation of Christ. But even more so, not only along with that in in the worship of him, but we share in one another's victories and struggles. That when you are going through something in life and something amazing has happened and you're rejoicing, I'm sharing in that very same joy with you. So when you get a job, it's like I've gotten a job. When you have a child, it's like that I've had a child. And at the same token, when you are hurting, I'm hurting as well. When there's there's a loss of a loved one, when there's a catastrophic event that happens in your life, I feel that hurt and pain along with you. And I come alongside you and I throw my arms around you, and we cry together, and we embrace each other, and we pray for one another. That that is the level of fellowship that we are to have with one another. And all of that fellowship, again, has to be rooted in who Jesus Christ is. And then it says they commit themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is what we talk about as the Lord's Supper, or we say communion, right? And and we see that this has been referenced several times in scriptures, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 13, 1 Corinthians 11. Christ gives his disciples a command. He says, you are to do this in remembrance of me. The breaking of my body and the shedding of my blood is something that the church is to continually and collectively constantly take part in together. And the reason why that is so important, because when we do communion, it's a reminder to us of the greatest thing that we have, is that we have a Savior who went to the cross and died for our sins. And when you and I take that communion together, we are constantly reminded of that. And it puts us on the same playing field because it says the sins that you have are no better or no worse than the sins of my life. That I as an individual am not any better than you and you are not any better than me. And it gives us the same love of Christ equally. So that's why communion is so important. And we just mentioned that, again, October 2nd, after the service, we're going to share in communion together. And guys, I really would love for all of you to be a part of that. Because this is, again, something that Christ has not only commanded us to do individually, but he said, this is what the church does. Because we are a family, and we're going to share in the participation of his blood on the cross together. And then he says they commit to prayer. Now, what I like is some translations actually say they commit themselves to The prayers. The prayers. And it seems like such a simple word, but when we add that word in there, the prayers, what that means is that we are actually unified in our prayers together. So very often, 
Won't we say to people when people like are struggling or going through something or thinking, we'll say, I'll pray for you, and we kind of take it as a very casual, nonchalant type of peace. And then what do we do? We never bother to pray for them. We, we just give them these token answers. But guys, when we pray, we have to remind ourselves that we are coming into the presence and the throne room of God, a holy and sovereign God that has created this world and at any moment can choose to do whatever he wants in this world. And when we come to him in prayer, we better make sure that we are coming with that level of reverence and understanding that prayer is not some insignificant thing that we do because that's what we're supposed to do. No, no, no. We are committing ourselves to the collective prayers that says you and I are going to be of the same heart and of the same mind that when we pray, we are praying the same thing and we are coming before our Heavenly Father and pleading with Him and saying, Lord, this is what we need in our lives. There's a reason why we send out those emails and those text messages to ask you to pray. There's a reason why we have prayer on on Sunday mornings and on Thursdays. There's a reason why we have a prayer team. Because we want this church to be praying in the same direction and calling upon our Father to answer those prayers. So these are the four things that the church is committed to. We commit to the teaching, we commit to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And now we're going to come to the next part in 43. What is that nature, though? What is the essence and the heart of the church in terms of how it is that we actually fellowship together? Well, it starts with, it says what? They were, they were filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles and by God. And some some translations will use that word awe as, again, the word fear, which, again, is a healthy reverence fear of who God is, the understanding that he is all-powerful and that I am nothing. That, that again, he, he holds eternity in his hand and I am a sinner deserving of death. And so the apostles go out and they start to do these miracles where, again, we've talked about how they would, the, the, the ability to understand each other's language. They, they start to, to see the miracle of the healing of sick and the blind restored and, and people being come back from the dead. And collectively as a church, they are standing as one heart together and going, look at our God and what he is able to do. And so there's an amazement that happens in the church. And then it says they lived uh, collectively in the sense of oneness and and commonality. Uh, It talks about how they, they gave to one another, that they were willing to sell what they had for each other. Now, the world has often maligned this piece of scripture and said, look, the Bible is promoting the economic idea of communism that everybody should equally have the same amount. That is not what the scriptures are saying here. And let me just give a couple of different examples because there is a major difference between the idea of communism and the idea of Christianity. Communism is a political system that is forcing it upon you. 
What Christianity calls for and the following of Christ calls for is the giving out of one's own free will. This is, this is not a demand upon your church leaders to say you need to do this, but it's a plea to the heart to understand that. Communism is concerned with the financial and equally livelihood of all individuals. Christianity allows for those differences. It's not wrong to have more money than someone else. But it is wrong to allow our brothers and sisters to go in need. There's a big difference with that. Communism says what's yours is mine, where Christianity says what, what is mine is yours. And communism is concerned with the size of a man's wallet, while Christianity is concerned with the sins of a man's soul. So I want us to be very clear that this passage is not forcing you to do it. But it is saying that if you are part of this church, guys, we have an obligation to one another to care for each other out of a genuine love for one another. And the way that Christ gave his life up on the cross for us is the same way that you and I should be willing to give to each other. So God blesses people to live in abundance at times, and there are times where many of us have lived by the skin of our teeth. But when we come together at the church, and we love each other that way, that is again where we see the awe and the amazement of who Christ is. And this fellowship then continues. It says they continued to meet in the temple courts. Now we have to understand the temple courts was, was kind of the gathering place of the Old Testament times. It's kind of like if we were to go to Starbucks today or go to a park, right? That's where people just gathered. And they would gather together and they would show up and they'd pat each other on the back and they'd, they'd ask how each other's day was going. And then when they were at the temple courts, then they would worship and they would praise together who our God and Savior is. And then it says they continued to eat at the, di the dinner table, that they shared times together in one another's homes. You know, I find it amazing how one of God's great inclinations is for us to want to eat meals together. I mean, think about the amount of times that we gather together to do this. Somebody has a baby, what do we do? We throw a party and we have food. Somebody graduates high school. Somebody graduates college. What do we do? Let's throw a party and have food. Somebody gets married. Let's, let's throw a party and eat together. I mean, even at funerals, we gather together around a table with food. God has laid this upon our hearts to say, there is something magical that happens when you and I sit in each other's homes and we sit at a dinner table together and we share a meal together. And we actually see that in the scriptures. Back in Exodus 24, it says this. It says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire as bright as blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. In Revelation 19, write this. Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Guys, when we enter into the throne room of God, what is God going to do with us? He's going to have us sit at his table and eat. We should be sharing meals together. And all of this was done, what does it say? With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and finding favor for all. And this is a joyous exaltation of the nature of the church when it collectively lives together. And, it, and when it says the word sincere hearts, it's talking about the idea that sincere in this case is like a smooth stone. That we are uninhibited by the wants and the desires of this world. That our relationship together feels just like that smooth stone and everything is going well. Now again, I'm not saying that we will not have problems because we know that we live in a broken world of pain and sin. But even in the times of hardship, isn't it as amazing when the people of God get together and it just seems to go that much better when we have one another in our trials and difficulties? And there is blessing in that. Jeremiah 17, 17 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in God. Guys, when you and I put our faith in Christ, when you and I live together as the way that this passage of Scripture is calling us to live, there is a tremendous amount of blessing. And that blessing spills over in abundance in our relationship of goodwill and kindness and graciousness and love, and we just get to embrace the joy of being together as the church. It's kind of like the fact that you and I are hearing the same message and, 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 and singing same songs together and that we're praising God together. It's kind of like that when I accept Christ, I'm not just accepting him alone, but I'm accepting the entire family of Christ and the church. It's like on a wedding day when you make vows, right, to one another. It's like saying, I take you, church, to be my lawfully wedded family. For rich or for poor, for, 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 for health or through sickness, for good and bad, I am vowing myself to you, my church family. That is really what we are doing when we embrace Christ. I'm not just embracing Christ and saying, well, I've got Christ and that's all I need. What we're saying is I've now embraced Christ and now this is my family. Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another. We talked about that word as this active, intentional spurring of one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit are doing but encouraging one another all the, may do, all, the may, all the more as you see this day approaching. In Galatians 6.2, we're told to bear one another's burdens. Guys, that is the scriptural obligation of the church to each other. It's a genuine love that does not grow weary in doing good for one another, guys. I should never get tired of wanting to faithfully serve you nor should you ever get tired of wanting to faithfully serve me. And here's why this becomes so important. John 13. 
A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Have you thought of it that way? That our love for each other is really an act of mission? It's really a a sign. It's a testimony to the unbelieving world of who Jesus Christ is. You know, I said last week that this world is going to start by being lovers of themselves. They're going to be so focused on what they want and what they can get. The idea that we would put someone else first is a strange concept. Wait, why do you, why do you, why do you love on these people? You're just, you're just going to sell your car and give them the, You're just going to give them your car? You're just going to donate them money so they, they can pay medical bills? You're, you're, just, you're, just, you're just going to put on this, this big picnic and, and everyone's just going to come and everyone's going to bring food? That's not my family. You know, I'd be surprised if my family even bothered to get together. Again, we are called to be set apart. We are called to be different. And the way that we love one another is a sign of that difference of who our God actually is. And when we think about that kind of love, because you and I are sinners, right? You and I are going to frustrate each other. You're going to do things I don't like, and I'm going to do things that you don't like. And there will be times where I unintentionally hurt you. But yet, that love covers over that. And that love draws us back to each other. That says, even though we've hurt one another, we're still going to love each other unconditionally. I'm not abandoning you because you did something to me. No, matter of fact, I'm going to work through the hurt because I want to remain united to you. Again, that is a concept this world does not understand. And so the more vigorous and the more pure that our inner workings are towards one another, the more powerful and the greater extent that we can testify to this world of the love of Jesus Christ. And guys, what happens when the church loves each other the way that it's supposed to? What does verse 47 say? And the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily. It is the Lord who brings salvation. And it is through the church that he has called us to show that. Guys, think about that idea. The way that we love each other adds to the kingdom of Christ. It adds to the universal church and it adds to the local church. You know, they just had Hope 22. And there were people that came with all kinds of addictions, people that are broken. And and as I was talking with with, with Ashley Freed, who who got some information, they said, you know, the number one thing that these people were looking for? Relationship. Relationship. That is the first thing that people were citing on those surveys of what they wanted. Guys, there is no greater relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, and there is no greater relationship with this community than with the Church of Penn Valley. 
So our love for each other is a missional act for God's glory. So there's a reason why we collectively gather on Sundays. There's a reason why I've been pushing small groups and for you to be a part of one. There's a reason why I want to see you here the first Wednesday of every month for family night. There's a reason why I want you to be a part of communion on October 2nd. And when we have baptism, I want you to come and celebrate that with us. And when we have things like men's retreats and women's retreats and and church-wide picnics, there is a reason why I want you here. Because when we gather, we are a picture of what the heavenly kingdom looks like. So I'm going to say it this way. I need you here. I personally need you here. Okay? I understand that we have rough weeks and sometimes we're tired and sometimes we're exhausted and we're busy. And it's hard to get up on a Sunday. I get that. I get sometimes you don't want to show up. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this, in this life. I, I get that. But if we're going to continue to make excuses of why we can't be part of that church, this church family, that's not acceptable, guys. We can't keep saying that something else has gotten in the way of this church family. But we also have to understand, guys, that there are legitimate reasons why there are people of this family who can't be here. And so we have to make sure that we're also doing a good job to go reach those individuals as well. There are men and women that struggle to get out of their home, but they're still part of this family. And we need to very much love them as best as we possibly can. So the bottom line is we often say that we are a family of families. Guys, we, we are best friends in the faith. Let me say that again. We are best friends in the faith. And you and I can't be that if you're not here for me and if I'm not here for you. Because if you and I are not here together, then we can't do missions together. And we can't glorify our Lord and Savior together. And we can't prove to the world together of who Jesus Christ is. So our mutual love for one another is missions for God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray for um, an understanding and a grasp that uh, the depth of our love here expounds the power and the influence that we have for your kingdom and your glory. Now, I marvel, I marvel, Lord, at the idea that you're going to take sinners and you're going to break us down to cause us to love another. Because, Lord, our inclination is to love ourselves, to put ourselves first, to care for us as number one. But, Lord, it is your blood that has taught us what it means to love someone else. And Lord, I I pray that there is conviction. That if I have taken this family lightly, that I would understand the serious nature of what this family means. I pray that we find ways to love each other, to be there for each other. And Lord, I pray that when we love, oh Lord, I pray, let the darkness 
see the light. Let those that are hurting and craving want this type of relationship, Father. God, let them be drawn to you the way that we have been drawn to you. Let this community understand that you love them through Penn Valley Church. Thank you for dying and saving us for all of eternity. Amen.